The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! back to the Third Man Podcast. I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. And I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. And today, we're going to be covering Jack on TV, part one. Don't touch that <laughs> dial. James, get your hand off the dial. Don't touch it. Do, what about the switch? Can I touch Stop. the switch? Stop the remoting the dial, James. Uh, off the dial. But, I, okay. Yes, and. <laughs> <laughs> if you're new to the show, what we're doing here is we're basically going on a history voyage where we're learning about Jack White and Third Man Records and all of the history that we never bothered to learn before now. Um, so <laughs> so yeah. come along with us, if you will, and set sail on a magical Jack White <laughs> What, two ham, two cheese? Uh, this is a Jack White history podcast, James, and we are going to be talking about Jack White on television this time around. Let's keep it all business for the people. <laughs> That's right. Alrighty, and as always, if we get anything wrong, please let us know. Yeah, let us know. I mean, this podcast is us getting together and saying, hey, you know what? We're sick and tired of perpetuating rumor and stereotype. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we would like to be as accurate as possible about Jack White and his music because we're a couple of weirdo super fans with time on their hands. That's true. I got much time on my hands. It's just yes. all over my hands. It Too won't wash off. Too much time on my hands. <laughs> this is all good pod. So uh, before we get into our actual topic of the week, we're going to start with a segment we like to call... Fell in love with the show... I fell in love once, and I'm most completely now. Yeah, so this is whenever we see a new Jack White or Jack White-related associate concert, we're going to talk about it on the show and give you kind of the lowdown of what we saw. Yeah. Paul, I heard Telltale that you went to see a show this uh, week. Uh, yes, I did. I saw Miss Margot Price at the Troubadour in West Hollywood, and oh, it was so good. She's amazing. Third Man Records recording artist Margot Price, the yeah. wonderful new breakout star. Yeah, she's amazing. She's plugging her album, Midwest Farmer's Daughter. First of all, I'm in love with this album, but more importantly, I'm in love with Margot. Her stage presence, her music, songwriting, her musicianship, all of it is just totally, totally clicking on all cylinders right now. And let me tell you, it was great to see a Jack White related act on the road. It's been like a minute since we've seen one. What the yes, hell? Seriously. I mean, I mean, Pokey is, is out there. He's still doing stuff. You got your uh, Dominic Davises. You've got your Fats Kaplan. Yeah, they're doing like sporadic shows. I'm talking like a concert sh- tour. Like the closest I saw this year was I saw Allison Mossart, you know, with the kills. Oh, yeah. Plugging their amazing new album. But anyway, we, we talk about that another day. We can get to a Mossart show, which we should definitely do. But Miss Margot Price. All right. So I saw him at the Troubadour. The Troubadour, for those of you who haven't been, I knew it from, it was the, the small concert venue right outside of Beverly Hills, where John Lennon was heckling the Smothers Brothers, wasted with Harry Nelson, and was kicked out and punched a photographer on the way out. Yeah. <laughs> that was at 1972. Two? Three. 73. Three. Damn. Yeah. Or maybe it was 74. Dad can correct us. But anyway, <laughs> this venue, it, it does not shock me that the Smothers Brothers could hear Lennon because this venue is tiny. It is very, very small. It's like a bar, a very short stage area, no bigger than like a standard living room, I would say. Uh-huh. And then the set. And then there's like places to sit up top. There's like a lounge on a first come, first serve basis. So I went with a buddy. Andrew and we went up to the lounge area and we were kind of like chilling there and we were like nah nah I want to get all up in that stage (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and by the way, while the like the music ambiance playing while we were waiting for the show to start, you know, it's always pretty cool because you kind of get like a flavor of what either the artist or the venue thinks is similar music. And they mm. played two songs that stuck out to me. They played Honey, We Can't Afford to Look This Cheap. Nice. And they also played Crippled Inside by John Lennon. Oh, wow. Nice. Which, yeah, which has a kind of honky-tonk f- uh, flavor. If you've never heard Margot's music, she's definitely like a honky-tonk artist. I hesitate to say country, although it's definitely country. I almost think of her more like, you know, honky-tonk. Yeah. She's not singing about her, her dog dying. She's <laughs> she's singing about her crippling alcoholism. <laughs> yes, yes. So anyway, we were I was positioned right on the amplifier. So I was sort of leaning up on the amp all mm-hmm. night so this the sound was hitting me so her band came out first and her band started playing kind of like Ringo's band does and then the bassist was like and now Ms. Margot Price and she like came barreling down the stairs and she had a she has this guitar her guitar case by the way has like all this Johnny Cash bumper stickers all over it and stuff nice her guitar her acoustic guitar has price written on the guitar strap one could call it a price tag <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she did it. Just this set was really tight. A lot of high energy. She came. The first thing she talked about was the fact that she brought a beer onto the stage and she didn't have a lighter to open it. And so she asked the crowd who had a lighter and the guy in the front row did not have a lighter, but took the beer from her and smacked it and opened it on the side of the stage. <laughs> so that's how the show began. Uh, I was I was definitely front row, but I was more to the left on the speaker, like right by the keyboardist. Long story short, her set was amazing. The song she played, she's very conversational between the songs. She smiled a lot. She danced a lot. She would do songs without playing guitar. She would take her guitar off and like dance a little bit and sing with a microphone. She had a a tambourine. She would rattle Mm -hmm. around every once in a while. Anyway, really, really good stuff. She actually left the stage for a portion of it so the band could do an Eagles cover, all instrumental. (laughs) And then the band left for a portion of it so she could come on and do this, like, uh, I think it's called Made in America, or American Made, rather. And it's like this really poignant kind of political song. And she's just, Mm. her songwriting is so on point it's so so good it's real solid yeah so she also did the cover of mercedes benz so some of the more exciting moments of the night happened later she during i think four years of chances which is a great song i think it was during that song she got up with the mic and decided to climb up onto the amplifier i was leaning on oh my gosh so it's just me like you know with a shoulder on the amplifier and i'm like oh crap here comes margo she climbs up onto the thing, and then she's just standing right in front of me. And <laughs> she, she like, did her thing. She's dancing around up there. It was really, really awesome. She got down there. I thought that was going to be, like, the coolest part of the night. Uh, but then later during the finale, she – and I, I guess Hurting on the Bottle was the finale. She climbed off the stage and walked into the crowd with her microphone and started, like, singing and dancing with people in the pit. Oh, and, nice. Yeah, and so I was, like, a little far away from that, but – she had her make her way back to the stage and so she had to walk right by me to do it and she was like sort of greeting fans on the way like one or two people and then she gets she gets to me and there's like a space in front of it like between us and i'm just like looking right at her and i'm like (laughs) i'm like do i go in for the hug here like what do i i was like and then my brain is like my my brain is like no don't don't do that Safe under, space, safe space, un- yeah. under no circumstances approach or touch this person. Long story short, deer in headlights, I've stood frozen there. She, <laughs> she's looking at me as she's walking up, and then she just looks down at my – I was wearing my Jack White T-shirt with the third <laughs> the third men logo on this chest. She kind of understood what my deal right. was, right. and then she just does this. She reaches out, and she just pets the Jack White <laughs> symbol on my shirt. And she's like, give me a smile and a wink, and then went on her way. And I was like, Margo touched me! (laughs) It was was awesome. Paul just wanted to take, take, take. (laughs) For real, though, for real, though, when she touched the Jack White symbol, I was like, I'm going to die right now. I'm just like, I wouldn't wash it for a week. That would be all that I need (laughs) help. We were about to find out what happens when I finally spit Coke Zero all over this laptop. Well, it's just not fair. <laughs> Paul just needs a piece of hair. 
anyway, that's just an example of the amazing performance she delivered. She came on to an encore. The whole troubadour was chanting, we want Margot. It was quite, quite a scene. The friend, actually, that she based the song Four Years of Chances on was in the crowd. So she obviously had some friends and family at the show. Nice. And, but let me tell you, she just put on such a good show. I can't, I can't, like, stress enough. If you can see Margot Price live, see this woman. She's so good. Ah, you've, you've, you've made me upset because <laughs> I missed out on a concert at the World Cafe in Philly. It was $12, and I went... What? And I regret it now. So, well, I've regretted it since I, I heard the album for the first time, because I, got, I had the chance before I heard it, and now I'm just like, ugh. She may come around again, because she's still on tour. Like, she's yeah. still, I think she was flying to Minneapolis after that, so... But, Paul, um, this is Philly. <laughs> she's not going to come back. She put a hurting on the Philly. Well, Jack even said he'll never go to Philly again. <laughs> That's right. And he never has. I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, uh, so anyway, Ms. Margot Price, if you were wondering, I was the second fool that shouted, we love you, Margot, at you. And so that that was me. And thank you for coming. And thank you for such a great show. It was amazing. You're amazing. Yeah, seriously. Come back to Philly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that's been Fell in Love with the Show. I fell in love once and almost completely. All right, so to get to our main topic today, we're going to be discussing uh, Jack White on TV, and it's going to be part one of question mark, because he's been on a lot of things. That's right. Jack White's been on TV so much, but we're going to try and cover some like key appearances here, and then we're just going to like do another Jack White on TV episode later on, so yeah. deal, deal with it. <laughs> yeah, so if you like it, then look forward to another one, and if you don't, well... It won't be for a while, so so you have that to look forward to. Jack's been on a lot of things. To, to be noted, his first official TV appearance was actually on the Detroit Public Television's Backstage Access on May 28th of 2000, where he played Apple Blossom and Big Three Killed My Baby that we discussed earlier in the White Stripes episode. That's right, and they, and they wouldn't air Big Three Killed My Baby because they were sponsored by Chrysler. Right, and he recently made that all available on Tidal. So if you have a Tidal subscription, you can go over there and you can actually watch the whole thing. Before then, he's been in you know some other on-screen appearances in movies and such, but that's another show. Yeah, we should mention like the reason why we're doing this topic is like Jack White owes a lot of his success and recognizability to television. Honestly, people wouldn't really know who he was if it wasn't for things like the fell in love with a girl music video like using mtv to his advantage that kind of thing was really one of the things that helped put him on the map not to mention people like conan o'brien which championed him early on and kind of made him a household name so like television is a huge part of the jack white mythos right he's used techniques turntables to grab <laughs> the first television appearance that i'm gonna go over is the 2004 grammy awards it's not the first grammy award show that he's ever been to but it's the first grammy award show that he was asked to perform at oh nice is that before or after elephant came out do you know this is after elephant oh, okay. so this is 2004 it aired on february 8th at the staples center in los angeles close by you nice it was aired a week after the super bowl incident with Janet Jackson and ah. Justin Timberlake before the, uh, that wardrobe malfunction. So the, this Grammy show was the first one to tout having a new time delay system to thwart any <laughs> wardrobe malfunctions. Oh, uh, man. They, they quickly came up with a new system. Instead of the five-second delay that was normal, uh, they came up with a secretive new system that they could do, even though it was still aired live, technically. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so it's pretty crazy. Sign of the times. Um, Sign of the times. <laughs> seriously. Oh, there's plenty of signs of the times. In this. <laughs> the pair of them, uh, Jack and Meg, arrived in formal attire on the red carpet. Jack was in a red button-down shirt with a black suit and tie and a black bowler hat. Meg was in a really nice white dress with some black leafy accents. They looked, they looked really nice and formal. It's rare to see them looking ready to go out in their full opera attire. <laughs> they did some interviews and stuff with MTV at a backstage program. Which the video's hard to find. It's 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 funny. I, the Grammy Museum out here in Los Angeles, not far from the Staples Center. I, w I went to that, and Jack White is all but ignored. Aww. <laughs> I mean, but uh, honestly, he's won. I think what is it, nine Grammys up to this point? Maybe it's, more. I think it's more. 
he's definitely not being ignored by the Grammys. I'm happy that they embraced him early on, you know? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they, they very yeah. well, they could have easily just wrote him off as like some fluke or whatever, but they, they didn't. To their, yeah. to their credit. Yeah. Yeah, he was a, an interesting product of the times because most most everything else was pop and post boy band feel to it. So it was and a lot of rap and R and B and stuff at the Grammys in two thousand and four. So it was an interesting thing to see between Jack White being there and like I think of of the that ilk, the White Stripes, the Foo Fighters, and the Flaming Lips were the ones that stood out the most to me as yeah. being the kind of. Uh, on the outskirts of stuff because the flaming lips had just put out fight test right so you know it was still premium yoshimi times <laughs> for them I, it's funny i almost like i definitely lump them and foo fighters together although foo fighters kind of came a little earlier than they did but i almost lumped like flaming lips in with wilco more than jack kind of thing yeah. but yeah i can see that i guess they're further along wilco is around for a little bit longer maybe but yeah so uh they brought to bear their their latest album elephant which was their biggest success of an album, so obviously it's going to have a lot of Grammy nominations. Right, uh, released March of the prior year, 2003. Right, and it was facing off against Missy Elliott's Under Construction, Whoa. Evanescence's Fallen. Well, we, Out- knew, we knew how that one was going to turn out. <laughs> Outcast's Speaker Box. Oh, that's oh, that's a good uh-huh. one. That's a Slash good the one. Love Below. No, yeah. Jack. <laughs> and Justin Timberlake's Justified yeah. uh, for the prestigious Album of the Year honors. Yeah, so, yeah. well, cry me a river, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> cry me a river. Whoa. So between those guys, you know, as, aside from Evanescence, because I have some obvious bias, I don't like Evanescence very much. I'm so sorry, uh, Evanescence fans. We yeah. we don't care for them, but we don't judge you. Right. It was a it was a tough year for Elephant to be to be in that mix, but Elephant's such a great album, so it deserves to be up against all of those. Yes. During their performance. Beck introduced them with probably the craziest set of words I've ever heard strung together. Premium Beck. This is premium unfiltered Beck. Nothing but Beck. It was so delightfully weird. We could hear a little bit of it. The sound of dead cell phones and oil rigs. The sound of empty parking lots and school buses. They love to live and live to love. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus' children of America, the White Stripes. Ladies and gentlemen, all Jesus' children of America, the White Stripes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Oh, Beck. And then he just was like, orale, and left. Yeah, yeah, it was, oh man, it was as much Beck as I could ever want in one sentence. That man. They they had a kick-ass show. They opened with Seven Nation Army. Jack and Meg had changed from their formal attire into their classic concert attire, so Jack was wearing the the split black and white pants uh-huh. with a black tee, yeah. or black and red pants, sorry. What's his hair like at this point? It's kind of on it, the long side, right? The button-to-button length? Yeah, it's it's just grown out to almost shoulder length yeah. at this point. Yeah, okay. Uh, does, he have the, does he have the mustache? He does not yet. Oh, okay. So anyway, uh, with a black tee. Uh, <laughs> Meg was wearing white pants, black tube top. Uh, so they were in their classic concert gear. Yeah. The audio clarity I've noticed on, on the songs weirdly crisp for them it was like very audio focused on the mics the vocals were high but the drums and guitar were actually pretty low in the mix huh. it was an odd it had an odd sound and one thing i did notice is jack's voice was a little gritty and it wasn't at premium peak performance i noticed this while watching it and then i was reading an interview from later in 2004 and he said he had quit smoking a little after this oh. because he noticed his vocal range was having some shortcomings and he noticed it with when he was singing with Loretta Lynn but he has huh. since gone back to smoking you know which uh, I don't know how it's affected his voice but you know at this time in 2004 a little later he he had quit it does sound um, a little it sounds a little grungy these days like when he's singing I don't notice it but when he talks in interviews you can hear a rasp he should probably just quit smoking Jack come on preserve that voice yeah you're you're only 41 or whatever it's just Come on, man. I agree. Uh, smoking's bad. Okay. But honestly, his voice does still sound amazing. It still sounds great. I think it's uh, it has something to do with his style. The way he sings kind of lends itself to aging his, gracefully. His, his style? Okay. He belts out a, a, a kick-ass Seven Nation Army, which for the time, very, very, very popular. It was hitting its you know peak 
peak Seven Nation Army time. This was him hitting the big time, and he's at the Grammys, and he is enjoying it. He's loving the hell out of this. He does this awesome transition into Death Letter. Uh, well, we, we can listen to a little bit of it here. And the feeling coming from my bones says, Which has this kick-ass guitar solo at the end, and he he just belts it out, man. At the end, it's one of the best guitar solos I've seen him perform. It is so good. It gets like super fast-paced, and he's he's just going into it. I think it's a a lot more than some of these folks who are attending the Grammys uh, cared to handle, but it gets a standing <laughs> ovation. the The camera pulls out afterwards. Jack's like sweating, and it pulls out onto who but Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> who's who's clapping delightfully. He's clearly loving it, possibly loving enough to put the Hateful Eight soundtrack on Third Man Records. Yeah, about, perhaps. perhaps. Yeah, and include perhaps. and include Apple Blossom on in that movie. Ah, yes. But well, first of all, I, just to mention really quickly, that Death Letter cover is, is amazing, and we've heard him talk before about wanting to seize opportunity to reach large groups of people, and mm-hmm. so I have a suspicion that he viewed this as like a big way to prove himself, prove the group, and prove the power of blues maybe in front of like the contemporary music industry and the. I'm assuming millions of people who were watching at the time. If you want the biggest audience for a musical performance, this is one of the biggest audiences you're going to get in mainstream America. Totally. And I think that's, I mean, that also feeds into why he embraced television so much. He's trying to reach large groups of people. It's funny for a guy that strikes me as like an introvert at times, he's definitely not shy about wanting to get himself and his music out there. He definitely puts himself out there in a in an interesting way. Yeah, he brands himself better than pretty much any musician I could think of. I would agree. So the White Stripes were nominated for four things in 2004. They were nominated for Best Rock Performance by a duo or group with vocal for Seven Nation Army. They lost this one to Disorder in the House by Bruce Springsteen and Warren Zevon. I'm sure I mean, it was great. Yeah, I love, <laughs> I love Bruce. I, I enjoy I think- Warren Zevon, but uh, hey... Come on, guys. The Stripes were also up for Album of the Year, like I said. And can you guess which album they lost out to, Paul? Uh, Speaker Box? Yes, they lost out to Speaker Box, The Love Below by I Outkast. Mean, if you have to lose to an album, I guess that's lose a good to one the to Hey Ya one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it's more than Hey Ya. Like, Hey Ya is there, fell in love with a girl almost. Like, I, I enjoy Speaker Box. Who said that? Who said that? You Speaker Box guys, get out of here. No Speaker Boxing. I hate Speaker Boxing. Uh, speaking more for the love below, I love the love below. And certainly no love below! Anyway, that doesn't matter. The point is, I understand the thinking, but I think history will look back on Elephant more favorably, if I had to guess. What would our Outcast podcast be called? Would it just be <laughs> Podcast with a K? <laughs> oh, hell no! Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> the Stripes were also up for Best Alternative Music Album for Elephant, uh, and they won this one. Hey! Uh, but, yeah, White Stripes and Liam Watson, the Engineer Mixer, won for Best Alternative Album. Uh, they were also up for Best Rock Song uh, for Seven Nation Army, and they won that one as well. Hey! Uh, so they won two Grammys this one. It was pretty good. Yeah. You know, pretty good amount of nominations, and the fact that they won two of them uh, against a lot of good stuff this year, you know, it says a lot about the album. Yeah, that was a good year for music. I mean, honestly, that was during that whole garage renaissance, and, like, R&B was really clicking that year. Like, there was a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah, so, all you gotta like, do is just hit the boom-booms and make the Skrilla. You need all those components. I, I, I really recommend not <laughs> digging into the forums from 2004, <laughs> uh, which, which I did. <laughs> 
for some reason I was reading forums like people talking about the Grammys. Uh, Chase fell down the rabbit hole. I did. It was so bad. It was people arguing about how rap is ruining music. Oh, God. And who's better, the White Stripes or Evanescence? And Evanescence in the forum I was reading was winning. And Oh, boy. Bad forums. Bad forums. Some things I thought were interesting. I was reading through Slant Magazine's predictions for best rock song win. Uh, they predicted who will win. Uh, they said it's going to be difficult but not impossible for the Academy to pass up an opportunity to award a dead guy in the boss with one trophy. Uh, even if Bruce Springsteen didn't actually co-write Disorder in the House, Train has no chance here. I guess they were up against Train. Oh, no. And train and Evanescence. They were up against Train and Evanescence. Oh, God. They met Virginia and they passed. They gave a hard um, pass on Virginia. Eric from Slant said that, unfortunately, it's not the best Zevon album, and he's no White Stripes disciple, but Seven Nation Army is a new standard, and if Frank Sinatra were still alive, he'd be covering it in 30 oh, years. Oh, snap. That's pretty That's pretty interesting. And uh, their prediction for best alternative album, most Grammy voters usually struggle to know who any of the nominees in the category are, <laughs> hence its propensity to reward the usual suspects time and again. In other words, 528 magazine covers ensure that they, even the stodgiest voters probably perpetuated the are they married or siblings. <laughs> oh, Jack, um, you're so smart. That was such yeah. a smart PR move. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's interesting to read the stuff that was happening during this year and all the the pop gossip because it really says a lot about the time and the bands and the acts that the stripes were up against yeah and some of the reasons why they kind of rocketed skyward so yeah that that was the 2004 grammys so now we're gonna throw it right to 2016 and now we're gonna throw it right yeah to uh, sorry i've been doing a lot of of hammy radio stuff i'm no, sorry no, that's fine it's fine it's fine Journey with us, if you will, <laughs> from 2004 to 2016, <laughs> where we're going to talk about Jack White guest appearing on Portlandia. Oh, I'm sorry, that was a weird noise I just made there. I just, oh, I just really, oh. I just really love the episode you're about to talk about. It's a show, if not familiar, hosted by Saturday Night Live alum Fred Armisen and Sleater Kinney guitarist Kerry Brownstein. And produced by Lorne Michaels, the Saturday Night Live producer, as well as the producer of 30 Rock. Jack appeared on Season 3, Episode 1, Winter in Portland, which aired on December 14th, 2012. He appeared in the sketch called The Studio. Oh, it, this sketch is so good. Before you talk it's, about it, Jay, I, I just gotta say, I, this sketch is so funny, sometimes I just put the audio on in my car and listen to the sketch. <laughs> it's such an accurate portrayal of a music snob, it's just yeah. amazing. Anyway, go on. Well, I'll start out with a sketch overview of, of what it is. So it's it takes place on Northeast 28th Street in Portland. Fred Armisen is playing an obsessive amateur vintage recording equipment collector, <laughs> which is, it's a ridiculous thing, but it, man, those people do exist. Yeah, um, and he's got this crazy, like, blonde curly hair and huge mustache <laughs> and this big, and like, glasses. Tan, and this big tan parka. He's the type of guy who buys everything that he thinks will make him instantly, like, successful with none of the work. Like every amateur weird that looks like that he's obsessed with pet sounds he's showing off all his recording studio equipment in his basement to this this his friend of his who's like sitting in a bar he really exemplifies the yuppie hipster even to the point of bringing up like paul said pet sounds every other sentence they use this kind on pet sounds you know pet sounds uh, everything was used in pet sounds which if you know people like this they bring up pet sounds all the freaking time. Yeah, I was in line at for at Amoeba for Record Store Day, and the people in front of me were doing the same thing, going on about pet sounds. Fred is, like, opening a door, and he's fumbling with keys, and he looks at the guy, and he goes... These are the original keys used on pet sounds. <laughs> at, one, at one point, he's like... At one point, he's like, what would I, what would, what do I even do if Brian Wilson just walked into this room? <laughs> <laughs> oh... I can use these. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. So after he's done showing the guy all around, he, he they kick back outside on some lawn chairs, drinking some beers, and they he exclaims, like, all I need is somebody to come in and book time. And if they don't, I'm out a lot of cash. So excellently delivered. It's really good. Uh, they fall asleep outside, and then some fairy effects start to happen. Yeah. And some harps play, and, like, the screen fills with, like, a glittery snow. Uh, and then Jack White 
uh, in in his blunderbuss form uh, apparates right in front of him, <laughs> and Fred wakes up uh, as if it's like a dream, and he, he he's like looking at him, and he gets his friend to wake up, and he's like, set some stuff up, set, come on. <laughs> he tries to lure Jack into the recording studio, and, and, if and I, he's like, and if I recall correctly, Jack doesn't actually talk at all. No, he says nothing. <laughs> Jack just nods and looks around outside. He doesn't say a word. And then a- after a while uh, of him nodding and not saying anything, Fred Armisen looks back. Yeah, some of the stuff recorded on Pet Sounds and Jack disappears. But yeah, it's it's a really, really funny sketch. Jack plays the the Portlandia type of character perfectly, which is a lot of repetitive physical acting and they, he does it really well. Yeah, And Surprisingly, there's a lot of interviews and stuff about Jack being in this that I found. Uh, it turns out Carrie Brownstein is actually a good friends with Jack, what? which makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah it makes perfect sense because they're both rock stars. So yeah, yeah rock stars it, know each other. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, all rock stars know each other <laughs> in my own little brain. She interviewed on the Washington Post, you know, on a separate subject, and she was talking about just hanging out with Jack. Uh, get this, she was kicked out of a party with Jack. What? It says, sure, she has famous friends, and she writes about hanging out in Mark Jacobs' apartment with Gordon to work on a video for Sonic Youth. But that doesn't change the fact that when she tried to get into a party after performing in Oberlin, Ohio, she was turned away because the place was too full. As if there were a legal capacity to which they were adhering, (laughs) and only so many rubbery vegan hot dogs and red Solo cups to go around. (laughs) But she wasn't alone. Sleater Kinney's opener... A little band called the White Stripes also got rejected. No. Oh, my Uh, God. I love this story so much. Carrie Brownstein had said, I often think back to those two guys who turned us away, wondering if they know they kicked out Jack White to their party. (laughs) If they saw him later on TV or in a magazine and thought he looked familiar, if they reminded him of a tall guy who stood helplessly on their front lawn and then walked back to an outdated, beat-up van. (laughs) I want to know every little thing about their friendship. (laughs) I want to know about that tour. Oh, there's going to be so many episodes we do on those two. That makes me so happy. <laughs> it's really nice. I was so happy to hear that. Oh, James, you um, made my night. That's amazing. Fred Armisen, in an interview to Uproxx, said, It actually works better if it's a short cameo. Jack White, Carrie knows him pretty well, and I know Tony from No Doubt a little bit, so it wasn't totally business. So they clearly know these most of their guest stars, and obviously Carrie knowing Jack White helped get him on the show, Yeah, even for like a little short, tiny cameo. Wow. That's awesome. Um, also, in an interview to EW, Armisen said that in reference to this Jack White sketch, this is one that I feel was a victory for just getting something on TV. Just the idea that recording studio humor could end up on TV, <laughs> like microphone humor. <laughs> There's something very satisfying about that. And all those Pet Sounds references he makes, everybody does it. Yeah. Every recording studio I've been to, they tell you about Pet Sounds or how few tracks they used on Sgt. Pepper. <laughs> Do you know that that was only eight tracks? It's based on a lot of people I've known over the years, and Jack White doesn't even say anything. He doesn't have to. (laughs) James, stop talking about this. It's killing me. It's really good stuff. Oh, my God. It's really, really good stuff. Oh, my God. Every music nerd gets to that point where they're just like, I could do this. Yeah. I I think I know enough. Hey, James, I think we might have hit that point. (laughs) Oh, no. We're recording a Jack White podcast. We're those guys. Where those Paul. guys, James? Paul, have you heard about pet sounds? James, Do you know those my guys? microphone was used on pet sounds? James, are the guys. They're the guys for the show that we like. Oh. Well, there were only two microphones used on Sergeant Pepper. Uh, I thought there were three. Red, blonde, and brunette. <laughs> well, Fred Armisen, what, what show did he come from again, James? I believe that was live from New York. It's Saturday night. <laughs> the announcer of Saturday Night Live famously uh, screams into his hands when he announces the show. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to our Saturday Night Live extravaganza, where we, <laughs> where I went through and detailed all of Jack's peripheral and and uh, direct appearances on Saturday Night Live. He's actually been on there. Kind of a bunch, James. Did you know that? I didn't, but I knew he has. I knew he's been on there at least once during the White Blood Cells era because I, I remember his performance there. But it's it's interesting. I thought he was only on there once, really. Yeah. 
So we'll go chronologically. We'll start there. So season 28 was 2002. And yeah, promoting White Blood Cells, Jack and Meg came on and did two songs. Yeah, they were the musical guests, so they did their thing. The host of that night, James, would you like to guess as to the craziest, think of the craziest person you could possibly think would have been host and then tell me that and I guarantee you, you'll be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And it's crazier than what you're going to say. Like the most uh, far-fetched thing you can think of. Okay. Bobcat Goldthwait. (laughs) That's the craziest you could think of? (laughs) A comedian? (laughs) (laughs) James, James, what are we doing this for? (laughs) James, I've had a long week, James. I have had a long week, and the best you can give me is Bobcat Goldthwait. (laughs) All right, all right. I admit I wasn't taking it very seriously. (laughs) Okay. Alec Baldwin. Oh, for Christ's sake. All right. Are you ready for this? You ready for this? You gonna ready for this? Senator John McCain. Hi, I'm Senator John McCain, and no, you're not watching C-SPAN. I'm hosting Saturday Night Live this week with musical guest The White Stripes. <laughs> what? <laughs> why was he hosting? Uh, who, do, who knows? Who knows? I don't know. I don't know why people do the things that they do. Did- did he know? Was he just there? <laughs> you can go on YouTube right now and hear John McCain say, and now, once again, the White Stripes. Give it up for the White Stripes. My friends. Shut My friends. The White Stripes. John McCain introduced the White Stripes twice. Insane. I don't even know how to begin to process that. But uh, they went on and they played two songs. They played Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground and they played uh, We Are Going to Be Friends. You know, I have a feeling this is one of those, hey, we just made an album and it took off and people are catching on. So we're going to promote it kind of deals because I don't know Mm. about you, but ever since I hit my 30s, I've been an avid Saturday Night Live viewer. And let me tell you, (laughs) that program tries to catch a cutting edge, I think. Yeah. But it's a cutting edge for like for like an adult demo. Yeah. So by the time well, just, it hits Saturday Night Live, it's already been popular and not popular anymore amongst the kids. Well, Paul, just wait until you hit the age of 40, because then old Jay Leno monologues are going to start to sound <laughs> real funny. <laughs> so uh, Dead Leaves, uh, the, by the way, the Dead Leaves performance is amazing. We talked about this earlier, Jack likes to take advantage of having a big audience and a captive audience and white stripes being on saturday night live makes a lot of sense for that reason they're they're doing their thing it's a meg is on point meg's drumming is really really tight maybe it was the exposure the performance that spooked i don't know they had been at this for a while at this point so it makes sense but there she sounded particularly good on this cut let's play a little bit of that soft hair and a velvet tongue i want to give you what you give to me and every breath that is in your lungs is a tiny little gift to me. It's a tiny little gift to me. Hey. And then We Are Gonna Be Friends is another great rendition. Actually, this one I really appreciated because Meg kind of is tapping on a snare drum the whole time. And it actually nice. kind of adds something to the song in a weird way. So also very interesting. You can go on YouTube. You can you can check it out. But And, they, you know, it's worth noting. Yeah. This is 2002. They both look pretty happy still at this point. Yeah. We know at a certain yeah. point Jack gets bitter and Meg shrinks into herself a little bit. And at right. this point, it seems like they're kind of enjoying celebrity for a minute. So, mm-hmm. so that it was refreshing to see. That's 2002. We skip forward a little bit to February 14th, Valentine's Day of 2004. As we just talked about, they're about to be on the Grammys. Elephant has hit by this point. Their previous appearance on Saturday Night Live was post-Blood Cells, pre-Elephant. This is now Elephant has hit. They've become a thing. So mm-hmm. this is not actually an appearance by them, but it is a skit uh, parodying them. So they reached the point of, like, a writer sat down and used their images to be a thing. In the th- you know? Basically, it's like Batman 66, only mm-hmm. when the commissioner the commissioner's not calling Batman, the commissioner's calling the White Stripes. And Jack is played by Jimmy Fallon. And uh, Meg is played by Drew Barrymore, who I guess was hosting that week. And basically, whenever the commissioner calls to tell them to go fight a crime. Get me the white stripes. 
Jack sings a theme song about it and writes an anthem and they get so wrapped up in the song that the crime happens and then they were not able to do anything about it. So it's cute. You know, it's funny. It captures the mood of the time. It's not the best skit in the world, but it was definitely fun. You should check it out. What they should have done is have Meg answer the phone from the commissioner and talk really softly. So she does that. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Meg answers the phone, and then Meg also does the communicating to Jack. But she's talking in un- unintelligibly s- uh, quiet mumbles. Hello. What is it, Meg? <laughs> A robbery? The first last in a bank? Let's go! <laughs> All right, that's pretty good. I'm, it was I'm actually, liking this more and more. Yeah, it was it was honestly the best part of this kit. We have that. That's the White Stripes era. Then we flash forward all the way to 2012. That's that's an eight year difference and yeah. a, a full decade beyond when the Stripes last appeared on a Saturday Night Live. Uh, to March 3rd, 2012, when Jack is promoting Blunderbuss. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so Jack appears on the show. Lindsay Lohan was hosting that week. Uh, nice. I, re- I remember watching this live when it was on. And he did two songs. Again, they all do two songs. He did Love Interruption and he did 16 Saltines. Nice. And I remember being really excited because the Love Interruption video had just come out and 16 Saltines was completely new to us. We had heard it for the first time on Saturday Night Live. That was not a single that had come out yet. The album, as I recall, wasn't even out yet. Mm-hmm. The album wouldn't be out until April 26th of that year. So this is the first time we're hearing 16 Saltines. And I remember being just blown away because he really rocks the crap out of that one. Love Interruption, he does he does the song as, as per usual, harmonizing with Ruby Amanfu, who is very prominent in that video. He also plays it with the rest of the Peacocks. Oh, nice. Yeah, the so girl, the, the whole girl group, yeah. He's wearing a for that song he's wearing a like a black cowboy blazer with white accents on the shoulder. Kind of subdued for Jack, you know, kind of classy whatever, mostly black. They add cool drum fills and fiddle fills to the tune throughout. Uh nice. let's listen to some of those cuz they're really cool. recognize the guitar there but that's the that's that world war one guitar that he's yeah 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 yeah. that really old one Uh, i know exactly the the one you're talking about yeah it's on the cover of acoustic recordings and it's the one he's been playing on the acoustic recordings tour and etc etc uh so then for 16 saltines much like his tour the buzzards the guy group played that one and he absolutely just went berserk the blazer's gone he's in black tea (laughs) he's like running around and it's it's just so good the guitar solo there it's just sick the only note i could write on that was sick rendition bro because it's like (laughs) it's just so good and daru's going nuts on the drums fats kaplan is on the fiddle and dominic davis is there with his weird long hair at that point and ike owens Uh, is going nuts on the keyboards r.i.p ike yeah today today is r.i.p no really yeah october 14th 2014 yeah yeah rest in peace ike we love you yeah yeah uh so anyway that is the last jack proper appearance on the program saturday night live the Mm -hmm. last one in which you know he comes on does his two songs goes off he does appear again on the show on february 15th 2005 he appeared to introduce paul simon on the snl 40th anniversary show ladies and gentlemen paul simon paul simon went on to play still crazy after all these years Oh, nice. Uh, so yeah. So he just was basically there standing in front of the stage going like, here's Paul Simon? Yeah, he was billed as a guest, and then th- literally the only thing he did was introduce Paul Simon. But he got one of those placard cards and, you know, all that stuff. And huh. He's in his full Lazaretto Elvis cut, you know, kind of <laughs> yeah. phase, and he's wearing a sharp suit and stuff. So then, this is not a Jack appearance, but going back to our Fell in Love with the Show segment earlier, Marco Price also appeared on Saturday Night Live Uh, on on april 10th 2016 so this year and she appeared to promote the third man records release midwest farmer's daughter and played 
Since You Put Me Down, which is a great song. Yeah. And she also played Hurtin' on the Bottle. And, uh, yeah, Russell Crowe was hosting, so... Was and Tugga. Yeah, hopefully you didn't try and store a fight. Fighting round the world. Russell Crowe. Oi. Um, and so that's all the Saturday Night Live Jack appearances I can come up with. By the way, if anyone knows any other Saturday Night Live Jack appearances, let me know. Let, write us. T- tell yeah, us. Please. Like, we're not kidding. Like, tell us these things. Like Seriously. All right. Well, Paul, those were some those were some great picks from Saturday Night Live that you had. But here's here's another great pick for you for TV appearance of Jack White. American Pickers. Oh. Yeah. Jack White. Jack White appeared on American Pickers season 4 episode 7 The Elephant in the Room. Get it? It aired on January 9th, 2012. So basically, if you don't know the program, it's two guys, Frank and Mike, who are going around the U.S. Looking for rusty gold. Picking items to sell at their antique store from derelict garages and old attics. Looking for rusty gold. It's It's an entertaining show. It's got a formula. It's fine. It's on the History Channel. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Dad loves that show. Yeah, Dad's a big fan of it. Looking for rusty gold. So in this episode, uh, Frank and Mike find a taxidermy elephant's head in a guy's house and buy it for $9,500. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let's unpack that for a moment, okay? Okay, Uh, okay. Uh... So a a a man. Somebody's killed an elephant. Yes. Took a machete to its head. Correct. Removed the head. Correct. You know that took maybe fifty four machete hacks. Oh, you know it. At a minimum. At a bear. They dragged the elephant head into a, a garage, and then stuffed it, and then sold it to a man in the American South. Correct. That is the timeline we're looking at here. This this man had all the great paperwork. A certain man. (laughs) And just by his actions has the poaching magnets on the run. He had all the correct paperwork. He, you know, <laughs> what this, correct paperwork? This what? this elephant this elephant was brought in under all of the most legal circumstances, as well as its ears and tusks being reproductions. They weren't real. Okay. So, all right. All right. Fine. So the, it was not real ivory, and there was no real elephant ears. So it was a very it was a perfectly legal elephant head to own. Yeah. The fact that. It's illegal for someone to own an elephant head makes me a little sad, but go on. After they purchase this elephant head, another character there is Danielle, who works for Antique Archaeology, the the picker's store, rings him up and tells him that there's an interested buyer for this elephant head in Nashville. She goes on to say that this the name of this gentleman is Jack White. <laughs> and then the two pickers go on to say who and what Jack is to an unprepared television audience of <laughs> mostly old people. <laughs> Which brings us to our rag and bone of the week. Rag and bone! Rag and bone! As Mike is oh, wait, telling... Wait, 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 wait. Yep. Ra- Rag and Bone is the segment of the show, for those of you who don't know, in which we talk about the strange and unusual we find during Ooh. we find during our research of Jack White. And it's stuff that we have no choice but to put in a segment we call Rag and Bone. That's true. As they're explaining who Jack White is, Mike is explaining... Jack White is a modern-day rock legend, which is true. I would agree to that. I'm sure he's trying to get the point across that Jack is a big guy to people who do not know. He also says, I'm a huge White Stripes fan. Ever since I heard the song, Rag and Bone. That was my band. Oh, my God, we're having a fire sale. (laughs) Oh, the burning! Oh, man, this isn't a fever scene, Greg! Can't even see where the knob is! I I get it. I totally get it. Rag and Bone is about, like, collecting (laughs) odds and ends, and that's what this show is about. But holy crap, is it 
such a weird song for him to go, that's my song. I mean, clearly. That's my jam. Yeah, clearly he's a fan. I mean, if he knew Ragged Bone, that's nuts. Well, yeah, I was expecting it to be like kind of staged, like given to him. And it, you know what? It may have been because it's so clearly like about what he's doing. True, but at the true. same time, it's like, you know what? You're mentioning this weird, bizarre song <laughs> that, that most magazines, when the album came out, wrote off as this piece of crap garbage song. Oh, uh, we loved, I love that song. I, yes. Uh, and yeah. it's, for those of you who don't know, off of Icky Thump, it, it is one of the gems of Icky Thump. It, it really is. It's something else. And it's something special that me and Paul both really love, if not only for the banter Jack and Meg have in it. Yes, uh, totally. I, I played this with the Third Men house band. <laughs> it's really fun to play with a group of people. So, James, you win the award for most tailored rag and bone segment <laughs> ever. Oh, uh, well, you won't see me in rags and bones. Yeah. It's just things that you don't want. I can use them. Meg can use them. All right, so what the hell happened with <laughs> Elephant Head? Did he buy this thing or what? <laughs> um, What's going on so with this they- thing? So they go all the way out to the Third Man Records store in Nashville, Tennessee. They catch up with Jack in the middle of a photo shoot. <laughs> and when they arrive, he's he's shooting Miss Tempest Storm, who he claims is the oldest burlesque dancer in the world. <laughs> She's wearing a, a, a skimpy dress and a big boa and has this huge red i'm assuming it's a wig on and and the guys are ogling at her and and all this other stuff it's it's an interesting scene remember jack. this name though tempest storm jack i love you but you're strange <laughs> you're a strange guy you're weird guys weird guy so <laughs> so they, they unpack this crate they shipped in the elephant head and they take a big for a dramatic reveal they take crowbars they pry it open and compared to the enthusiasm of Frank and Mike, Jack seems downright bored. <laughs> it's it's hilarious. They're just like, <laughs> let me see it. Jack's just like, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he was bored. I think it just comes off that way. But it was very funny to me. Wow. Uh, but the first thing he says is, "That's the weirdest looking giraffe I've ever seen." <laughs> Oh, I thought nothing was going to top his Kermit quote, but that, <laughs> I think, tops it. We'll get into that in, an, in another show. Sorry, sorry. So the, Jack goes on to talk about his love of taxidermy. He calls it uh, a majestic art. He's definitely uh, been a huge taxidermy collector for a long time. In in other interviews, he says, uh, I have a huge taxidermy collection at home. I've got a zebra head, two gazelles, an eland, a kudu, a giant white elk. I'm assuming he also has a buzzard yeah. named Cupcake. Yeah, there you go. And, and a peacock, and probably. And he's got to have a three-toed sloth, man. Yes. He's just got to. His favorite animal. And Karen Elson, on, on this particular collection, has been quoted when, when they were together, he loves a good stuffed animal, my husband. <laughs> it's to the point where I say, please don't come off tour with another creature. Oh, poor Karen. So to me, the scene seemed entirely staged because they had to spend about what they quote as $900 and some change just to ship the elephant head there. So they knew they were going to sell it, I feel like, if they're going to spend that much money on it. It may not have been, but that's neither here nor there. So Jack gets an offer from them for about $12,000. Jack says he wants to do a trade, and they say, sure. So he he decides to show them a photo booth that was used in the Dead Weather music video hanging from the heavens. Oh, nice. Yeah. So he's willing to trade this photo booth, which apparently was a Woolworths photo booth from Detroit. I am not, by the way, shocked by that at all, but go on. Yeah, yeah. me neither. They talk about the Dead Weather video for a little bit, and then they play a weird instrumental remix of Icky Thump. It's like... I think it's what? like the Pickers house band playing it. It's kind of bizarre. Oh, that sounds great. Our idea was we were going to make 150 hand-painted 45s, and we would put a, a photo booth strip in each one that was completely unique. So it's some interesting insight that he gives on this show to, yeah. for that video that I never got before. Huh. He also offers up uh, his own personal jukebox that he's owned since you know he lived in Detroit. Which is pretty cool. I'm sure he owns like a thousand jukeboxes, yeah. but yeah. Uh, this was one from from his past. So the the pickers reluctantly take the both the things after a little bit of haggling. They take the jukebox and they take the photo booth, and Jack pays six thousand dollars for the elephant. <laughs> 
it's an interesting haggling session. A lot of jokes back and forth. As they're moving the photo booth and moving the jukebox into their van, you could see Frank carrying a yellow 45 Third Man Records box into Ooh. the van, but they never mention it. So I guess Frank just took it or they just offered it. Uh, remember how I said, remember Tempest Storm's name? Yes, the oldest burlesque dancer in the world. Yes, go on. Correct, <laughs> correct, <laughs> correct. In reference to Danielle Colby, who was the, the picker crew who, who called them, apparently she was a former burlesque dancer such that she also produced a documentary focusing on Tempest Storm. Oh, wow. A legendary burlesque dancer. There there seems to be a connection. It's not mentioned in the show at all <laughs> uh, that there's a connection there, but Danielle did a did a documentary on her, and it fits right, right up Jack's interests. I don't um, think anything has fit his interests more in this world than... <laughs> than the oldest living pho- burlesque dancer. Photographing the oldest living burlesque dancer and purchasing an elephant's head for $6,000 and a jukebox. Some some other things I found interesting. The elephant that, they, that Jack bought is now sitting in the Nashville storefront. It sits hanging on the wall to the right of the bar, just in front of the elevated control room. So if you go into the blue room, you'll, you'll be able to see it. Nice, nice. From we're, we're uh, planning a pilgrimage there in 2017, so yeah, stay tuned. we'll get we'll get there. Rolling Stone reviewed this episode in an interesting way. They said White is a musical version of these guys, obsessively lifting retro junk, Delta <laughs> blues, airline guitars, the insane clown posse, and spiffing it up. Oh man, this must have been right after he did that ICP yep. single. Mm-hmm. It was all over the tabloids. And and something interesting that came from this, Mike from the show must have gotten something from this because they opened up an antique archaeology storefront and museum in Nashville, oh. where the photo booth is displayed now. Really? As well as Mike now lives in the suburbs of Nashville what? with his family. So much like Jack, he's he's living there with his fifty motorcycles in his <laughs> giant mansion. Wow, everybody's living in Nashville. Yeah, so, it's a place so to be. it was it was a cool cameo episode. Well, sweet pick, James. Sweet pick. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> so for now, we're gonna throw it to our third man of the week. And we'd like to welcome our third man of the week this week, Sam Dawson's Creek, Cubert, the fifth, the ninth, the tenth. The plugless. Thank you for being here. The plugless. All right. Thank you that, for that amazing intro. Uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about basically where we were when we first discovered Jack White. Oh, man. That man. All right. So when I was like 10, a guy that my dad worked with, gave my dad two White Stripe CDs. I believe one was Elephant, the other one was, oh God, I don't even remember. Blood Cells? Yes, Blood Cells. It's Blood Cells and Elephant. And Nice. My dad listens to it in the car and he's, he's like looking at me, he's like, you like this stuff? And I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm real into this. <laughs> and he's like, okay. Nice. Here you go. And he gives me both CDs because he didn't want it. <laughs> 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 like, did he give them to you as like, th- this is garbage that I have that I don't want anymore? Or did he give it to you as in like, this is great, Yeah, please indulge? My dad never actually became a White Stripes fan. He never, he only became a Jack White fan after he left the White Stripes. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's so funny that our dad too had the same experience. He only jumped aboard during Lazaretto era. Oh, really? That's, that's fairly recent. I got my I, dad yeah, listening yeah. to the Rackin' Tours and the Dead Weather a little bit. Um Oh, he, sweet. He likes the full band. He didn't like Meg White very much. <laughs> oh, poor Meg. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem like anybody likes his dimensions. Sad. Yeah. That's funny. I, I think I was a little bit older. I think I was, oh, I want to say 16, 17. Mm-hmm. No, probably like 18. When Paul was 17, <laughs> he got a very good CD. When I was 17. 
I, uh, I, I think the first time I had listened to the White Stripes uh, was on VH1. I saw like the Seven Nation Army video, and I was like, "Oh, that's really cool!" Because it's a very compelling video. The the imagery is flying at you. It's a relentless video. It's very very cool. And I remember thinking, "Oh, this sounds like Led Zeppelin." You know, mm-hmm. I, I was very much into my high school. I turned sixteen, therefore I bought every Led Zeppelin album phase. Yeah. And I remember thinking, "Oh, okay, this sounds really similar." I kind of like it and and so then uh, our buddy Mike got white blood cells and played me that for the first time in his bedroom and I was like oh okay yeah there it is like that they they're studying from the same schools but there's something else here jack is after something different than what plant and page were trying to do so you know i i, I was in the, the those sort of tender teen years and then when i got to college everyone was listening to white blood cells and elephant so it was very much a late teen years kind of thing for me yeah yeah yeah, I, um, I was very, very surprised to learn that it was only him and Mick. I, yeah, you know, especially in that song where he uses a uh, a pedal to bring his like to double and then bring his uh, guitar down an octave for the bass line. It's you know, I thought there was a bassist. Ah, yeah. tic tac bass. Yeah. Just Even, learned about tick. We learned about tic tac bass on uh, our Olivia Jean episode. Ah, yeah. Even Seven Nation Army, where everybody thinks it's an iconic bass line, is just guitar. Yeah. So it's it's always been kind of funny. Yeah. That was one of the first bass lines I learned, actually, because I thought it was an actual bass line, and, and I found tabs <laughs> for it. So I had no reason to believe otherwise until I saw the video <laughs> and learned that there's no basis in the band, and I was like, well. <laughs> you know that that was a cool two months thinking that there was a bassist in in the white stripes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I've talked about it before in our second episode, but the first time I I was introduced was was basically watching MTV when I was little and seeing the video for "Fell in Love with a Girl," and I don't remember much of that because I was too young. I just saw Legos. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. This song is cool. But I was really introduced after Paul and Mike kind of forced elephant upon me <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> paul paul I gave think that's me the, james i think that's the plot of operation dumbo drop we need an elephant by tomorrow Buddy, not- well you dropped you dropped the dumbo <laughs> and i picked it right up you gave me elephant on a burn cd and i got real into it other people i knew actually knew seven nation army and they're like oh yeah i like that song and i'm like i like the whole album so i kind of <laughs> I, I had i had a fun thing to be uh, youthfully resentful about so that was cool and yeah it, it kind of blossomed from there i think for like a second i was into him a little more than you were and then me and paul started getting really like, hardcore into jack white and his whole empire <laughs> yeah. the third man family that's right yeah. it's okay. a family it's more of a cult than an empire <laughs> <laughs> a commune if you will i i mean uh, to that point i first started noticing the the weird cult like stuff at i want to say the first rack and tour show uh, or no 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 maybe it's the second tour the one james you and i saw at terminal uh, five terminal five and i remember seeing like people with fedoras hanging around yeah. and i remember thinking like oh there's a cult of personality at the very bare minimum going on here that i didn't yeah. realize was there you know well you could tell with the roadies and everything too yeah it took a while to foster definitely because like it started very much like a mainstream thing and then blossomed into kind of a niche thing with some mainstream appeal because I remember at that first Raconteur show, I was bum-rushed by a bunch of dude bros in the audience. And then by rack show number two, when they're singing about Carolina drama, The Milkman, oh, it was just, you know, a bunch I of kids in fedoras song. and stuff. That is such a good <laughs> oh, song, Oh, yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that song is killer. It's a great tune to bust yeah. out to, like, in a drunken environment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, to get everyone singing together, for sure. Oh, yeah, it's great. Sam, did yeah. you want to add anything? Or? If you want to venture out into, like some more stuff that sort of sounds of this genre a little bit. I'd like to throw Shaky Graves into the mix and Gary Clark Jr. Gary Clark Jr. is a little bit Jimi Hendrix plus Clapton, and then Shaky Graves is a little bit of everything. You can definitely get like country, blues, rock, all that kind of stuff with him. And it's mostly just him. And it's funny because they went to high school together in Austin, so they're both Austinites. Nice. That sounds awesome. Yeah. We'll look at that. Yeah, let's play a little bit of that. Play uh, Late 
Eli. Oh, yeah, oh, help, gold digger. Took my money, dipped my heart in hands and money. Oh, snake lady stole my savings. Told gold digger she was having my baby's will. Gold digger swung. Snake lady fell. Yeah, I took gold digger up to Chapel Hill. Oh, I married her fast. Murdered her young. Took my money back and made my run. So thank you so much for being our guest, Sam. Where can people find you? Uh, they can totally find me on at samkubert.com. You know, that's my personal website, S-A-M-K-U-B-E-R-T uh, dot com. I, if I have to tell you how to spell that, you probably shouldn't be with, on the phone or listening to podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, Sam, and thank you again. I know we did this on the last episode, but thank you again for all the, the, the hard work producing and recording and engineering the theme song for The Third Men and doing the percussion and uh, backing vocals on that. That was very awesome. We love it. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> yes, we love it. Yeah, no problem, guys. Okay, we did it. All we right. did it. So, back to the show. All right, all right, back to the show. Thank you. Thank you for sticking with us. That's going to wrap our show. Yeah, it's gonna bring it's gonna bring the first television episode to a close, but we will have many more. Obviously, Jack has been on a lot of television shows, and we've got we got more in the quiver, ready to go. That's right. We're gonna hit pause on this show. <laughs> thank you for sticking with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for everything you guys are doing. Yes, um, thank you, thank you. We we love reading the comments and hearing that people are liking the show and listening to it, and so thank you again. I just want to give a shout out to the Third Man Records Collectors Group. Um, you guys have been giving some really inspirational comments and, and really making us feel loved, and we, we really do appreciate it. Yeah, you guys are so, awesome. The feedback from you guys is amazing, and we read everyone, and we, we, love, we love hearing from you. Yeah, seriously. We'd like to also thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for our theme song, We're the Third Men. Yes. Thanks, Sam and Tom. And thank you to Sam for being our third man this week. Thank you, Sam. And please, if you like the show, head out, head over to iTunes, rate, review, subscribe. It really helps us get the word out and stuff. It, particularly if you leave a review, it really helps get it in front of more people. So we appreciate any word of mouth you can do. The way we get the word out is through fans like you. So thanks. Thanks for the help. The more peepers and ear holes that we can get this to, yeah. the better we'll be. As always, you know, you can find us on several different platforms. We're on Podomatic. If you want to check us out there, obviously iTunes, James, we're on uh, overcast. James does a sweet YouTube version of the show. And if you want to see like show notes or if you want to check out any like pictures or anything like that from the era, you can head to either our Facebook group, just search uh, facebook.com slash third men. And you can find us on Twitter at third men cast. Yeah. Chat us up. You can head over to thethirdman.wordpress.com. That's got all our episodes there and the show notes and everything. And our show notes are kind of long typically because it's usually just the research um, we're doing. Uh, But, yeah, check us out there. And then Tumblr, too. You can find us on there. So, yeah, that's going to do it for us today. And as always, Paul, I'll be looking for a home. I'll be looking for a home. See you. See you next time on the Boob Tube. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. later and i won't <laughs> i i have to eat something i'm gonna f- keel over right now okay cool patrick keel over <laughs> for it would uh, be called but, our roses smell like boo boo the outcast pod podcast boo 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 about boo boo